Hello, friends, and welcome to the Beach House 34 podcast. I'm your host, Christine Worth. Now, today and for the upcoming weeks, I'm going to be covering some stories about the paranormal. And part of that is because, well, Halloween is approaching. Now, the thing, though, with the paranormal is that there's usually some kind of crime behind it, whether this be a murder, a body disposal, um, even death by suicide, just a simple death in a home. Otherworldly things just seem to hang around. Now, this episode is about the Sally House. It's a house in a small town in Kansas whose entities, who some believe to be demonic, terrorized a family in the early 90s. Now, this house to this day continues to affect people. This episode is not intended for children. Just kind of a heads up. Listener discretion is advised. The true story that I'm about to tell you has been condensed down to fit with any decent-sized podcast episode. However, it's important to know that what you will learn here today is just a fraction of what has occurred within the Sally House in the early 90s, and it continues to this day. I will have further information for you at the end of the podcast as to how you can learn even more. The city of Atchison, Kansas, sits between St. Joseph and Kansas City. It's a quaint town, and it was actually a starting point for those who were heading westward in the late 1800s. Now, later on, it became a railroad town, which is when many of the homes were built in the area. It's also known as the birthplace of Amelia Earhart. All this aside, Atchison has become a city well-known for its hauntings. So much so that the city even offers a haunted trolley tour where you can learn about their haunted history. And one of the most famous haunted homes is a seemingly normal older home on 2nd Street that, from the outside looks completely harmless. This is the Sally House. The story goes that the house in 1872 was owned by a physician. Now, the front part of the house was used as office space and an examination room while the doctor and his family then lived upstairs. One day, a mom, fearing for her child, came to the office carrying her six-year-old daughter, Sally. Sally had severe abdominal pain, and the doctor knew right away it was appendicitis and that he had to get to work on her immediately. Before the anesthesia had fully taken effect, the doctor began to perform the procedure, afraid that her appendix might burst at any moment. Unfortunately, Sally ended up dying on the operating table. Now, the problem with this story is that the Sally in this story does not exist. While the house has had its share of ghost stories over the years, it became particularly bad in 1993 when a young couple, Tony and Deborah Pickman, their three cats and their dog, 
moved into the rental home. Deborah was expecting and they needed the extra space. It wasn't too long after they moved in that they would notice an overhead light uh, in the front room would dim for about five minutes and then brighten as high as it could go. Nothing else in the room, the television, the fan, which both were on, seemed to be affected. This would happen frequently, and there didn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to it. Now, of course, it was an old house, so odd things tend to happen. But it doesn't justify the fact that neither the television or the fan was affected. Over the course of the next few weeks before their son was born, unusual things began to happen. Their dog, known to be extremely gentle, began growling and barking at the doorway of the nursery. Deborah would be walking on the stairs and she would often feel a cold wind go by her. The cats would crouch and they'd go into an, into defensive mode. And if you've ever seen a cat in a state of fear and ready to fight, how they lower their bodies close to the ground and then they slowly walk around and hiss at whatever they're afraid of, you know what I'm talking about. The timer on the stove, which was digital, would go off at random times. Neither Tony nor Deborah had any idea what was going on. But remember, Deborah was about to give birth, and so their focus wasn't likely on these odd happenings at the time. Plus, it's not like these things were occur- occurring one right after the other. It was random and over a period of extended time, so no one was really concerned. They thought it was strange, yes, but that's about it. After the baby was born, the couple would take turns caring for him throughout the night. You know, babies often tend to wake up quite often. They knew this, but they also knew that their son was waking up a lot more often than he should have been. He was waking up nearly every hour. Both Tony and Deborah just began to get exhausted, as you might imagine. And they tried every tip they received from family and friends and whatever it is that they did. They just could not get their son to sleep for more than a little bit at a time. Deborah had been talking with her sister about this. And so her sister actually volunteered to come and stay for a week to take care of the baby so that Tony and Deborah could get some sleep. Before she arrived, Tony had been cleaning up and vacuuming and He was in the nursery. On the baby's crib was a mobile uh, that had little teddy bears hanging from it. As he's vacuuming, this mobile all of a sudden begins to play music. And then it begins to turn on its own. Now, he goes down. He tells Deborah about this. But Deborah just chalked it up that he must have just hit the, the crib with the vacuum. And he didn't realize that he did it, which set off the the mobile. Once Deborah's sister got there, she ended up sleeping on the couch uh, down in the living room and the baby slept near her so that Tony and Deborah could catch up on their own sleep. The time that Deborah's sister was there, not once did the baby wake up at frequent intervals. In fact, the baby would actually sleep for hours on end. Now, the week seemed to go by pretty quickly 
And when it came to Deborah's sister's last day there, uh, they decided that they would all spend the day visiting Tony's family and catching up with relatives. So they all head over to Tony's family's house, spend the day there. And when they returned to their home, Tony left Deborah and her sister and the baby downstairs. And he went upstairs to drop something off and ended up walking by the nursery. When he glanced inside, he noticed that all of the stuffed animals that were in the nursery and usually arranged in the crib and on the windowsill and in various areas around the room were now arranged in a perfect circle in the middle of the room. Tony called down for Deborah and her sister to come up and and look at this. Now, each one of them is blaming the other one for playing a joke. No one knew how it had happened. The entire family had been together that day. Uh, Tony and Deborah, Tony's parents, his brothers, his sister-in-law, they had all been away from the house. Now, since Tony and his brother were known for playing jokes on one another, and one of his brothers actually lived very close to Tony and Deborah, they just chalked it up to the fact that Tony's brother must have just come in and played a joke on them. They put all the animals back where they belonged and they left the room, shutting off the light. As they were all heading back down the stairs, Deborah's sister looked back and noticed that the light in the nursery was back on. They knew they had shut it off. They all apprehensively returned to the nursery to look inside, and what they found was one single bear in the center of the room. Now, of course, no one had any explanation, and every last one of them were completely freaked out. They agreed that night that they were all going to sleep together in the same room just for that night. The next morning, Tony asks his brother to come over, and he tells him about the odd things that have been happening in the house. He asks him if He snuck in and arranged all the bears in a circle in the nursery, which, of course, you know, he denied. He thinks instead, his brother thinks, hey, Tony's just trying to pull his leg, but he decides to come over anyway. After they walked to the nursery and talk about what happened with the bears, they came back downstairs and happened to notice that a teddy bear that had been sitting next to the television had now been turned completely around to face the wall. Now, this particular teddy bear was filled with beans, like a a small bean bag, so it was quite heavy, and it couldn't have been moved by, say, a breeze or a fan or something. Deborah's sister swore that she noticed that same bear earlier, and it was definitely not facing the wall. So at this point, Tony's brother said that he knew of a psychic. And what he would do is reach out to see if he could get in contact with them to see if they would talk to them about the stuff going on in the house. This, this particular psychic often did talks um, around the, the country and wasn't available to come in person, but she did agree to talk with Deborah on the phone. Now, when they get on the phone, the psychic said that she felt like what was in the house was a little girl anywhere from 5 to 13 years old. The psychic surmised that the reason the stuffed animals were moved was that this child spirit just wanted to play with them. The psychic even had a name for the entity, Sally. She suggested that the Pickmans, Tony and Deborah, 
let this child ghost know that she was welcome to stay, but that she had to behave, and that if she played with toys, she had to put them back. Deborah was relieved to know that it was just a little girl, and Deborah came up with her own theories as to why their son might have been waking so up so much in the middle of the night. Now, maybe Sally wasn't bothering him, but rather trying to help him. So she let her thoughts drift to thinking that, you know, maybe their son had stopped breathing and Sally woke him up in order to make him start breathing again. So this Sally was saving their child. Now, one night, as Tony and Deborah are heading up to bed, Tony stops Deborah on the stairway and points out a picture on the wall. It was a picture of the two of them, and it was hanging upside down. The thing was, it was still perfectly straight, so it wasn't as if it had just come loose and fell that way, but rather it looked as if someone had purposefully hung it that way. Now, Tony, he um, had another brother who stopped by frequently to see the baby, and this was the brother that lived nearby. Tony tells him what has been happening, and he, too, felt that Tony was just making up this whole thing and just joking around. Tony then points out that beanbag teddy bear, which sits next to the television, and tells him what had happened before. Of course, the brother doesn't believe him, so Tony picked up a camera and said, Sally, smile. He then aimed it at the bear and he took a photo. As he's taking the photo, his brother begins yelling that the bear had moved and he became nearly panicked. At that point, they all decided that maybe they should just get out of the house for the night and go to Tony's parents. So they grabbed their things and Tony placed the car seat on the couch so that he could strap the baby in. Tony's brother got so scared about what happened that he wouldn't even stay in the house. He went out on the lawn and waited until Tony and Deborah came outside. Now, as Tony is strapping the baby in the car seat, he felt something like a sting on the back, um, on the, on his lower back and he jumped. And Deborah asked what had happened, and he says, I think I got bit by something. Once they were at Tony's parents' house, uh, Deborah finally lifted up Tony's shirt to look at his back, and what she saw were three bleeding scratches. Now, at this point, they're more concerned than ever before, so Deborah decides to call the psychic that they had been put in touch with. Now, the psychic, she had remember, has not been to the house at all, but still spoke with Deborah on the phone and reiterated that it was a little girl who must have just been angry at Tony, thinking that he might have been trying to hurt the baby when he was putting him in the car seat. They were told to talk to her sternly and treat her as if she were a living girl, punishing her for things she did wrong or praising her for things she did right, and to tell her again sternly, that what she did was wrong. Now, eventually they returned home and Tony, still thinking this whole thing was just way too weird, didn't want to do any of the talking. So Deborah said that she would. And later that evening, although she felt a little foolish talking to the air, she did tell Sally that if she wanted to stay, she had to follow the rules. 
It was then that they noticed a wooden ball hanging from their ceiling fan begin to swing in a perfect circle. It would then come to a dead stop and then it would start back up again. Deborah took this to mean that Sally was in the room with them and had heard what she had said. And she was kind of a little excited because she thought this was the way that Sally was going to use to communicate with them. Now, the psychic who was intrigued by that phone call uh, that Deborah had made when Tony had gotten those scratches on his back asked if she could actually stop by the house. She was going to be in town and wanted the opportunity. And Tony and Deborah agreed. Now, Deborah, excited about the fact that the cord on the ceiling fan was probably Sally's way of communicating, Deborah also wondered if she could also communicate in other ways. So Deborah came up with the idea that maybe Sally would communicate using paper and crayons as children would be more likely to be drawn to something like that. So what Deborah did is wrote a note on a piece of paper in crayon asking how old she was and left it lying in the nursery. The film that Tony had used originally to take a picture when he commanded Sally to smile for the camera had been developed. And the one picture that Tony had taken showed something really strange. The photo didn't show the bear at all, but rather it seemed to show a large blur of what appeared to be a person although it was so blurry that you couldn't really quite make out the features. Now, Deborah, she was super curious as to what or who Sally was, decided to go out and do some research on their house to find out everything that they could, who built it, who lived in it, if anyone died in it. And after countless hours of research, reading old newspapers off of microfiche and going through historical records, she finds out that no one, no one named Sally had ever lived or died in that house. The psychic was supposed to be visiting the next day. So Deborah made it a point to talk to Sally as she went around fixing up the house, telling Sally, hey, we have this psychic coming over. I just want you to be aware of it, so on and so forth. Now, while they're waiting The day that they're waiting for the psychic to show up at the house, Tony's brother comes over to conveniently (laughs) do laundry. And as he's heading towards the laundry room, he has to pass by a bathroom. And as he was passing by this bathroom, he noticed that two candles were burning. Now, Deborah had these as decorations only, and she never, ever lit them. And she knew that, hey, this must have been Sally's doing. So she followed the advice from the psychic and reprimanded Sally for lighting the candles, letting her know that fire was not good. Fire was bad. They also wanted to be sure that they could document the visit. So they made sure that they had a Polaroid camera and a video recorder on hand. And as they're waiting for the psychic to arrive, Deborah decides to take photos with the Polaroid of everyone holding the baby to make sure that the camera was working properly. Each photo that Deborah took showed some kind of white blur on the photo, usually near the baby. 
Now, at first they thought, oh, there just must be a smudge or something on the camera lens. So Tony took the camera and took some other random pictures in the house. And at no time did this white blur show up on any of those. So it couldn't have been a smudge. The time actually started to grow kind of late and they started to worry that maybe the psychic wouldn't show up. And uh, around 8.30, the doorbell rang. So thankfully, she was finally there. Deborah lets her in the house and she pauses for a moment. She tells Deborah that she feels short of breath and feels a heaviness on her chest. After shaking it off, she gathers herself and takes a short walk around the room. She then lets the group know that she has connected with the spirit. The psychic again tells them that, yes, the spirit is indeed a little girl and she has to be treated like a human girl. She has to be told what is right and wrong. Again, reiterating what she had said before. And she has to be given her own toys and her own items to play with. When Deborah asked her if she was able to determine from what era Sally came from or any other information about her, she admitted that she wasn't good at determining those kinds of things, and so they never really got an answer. Eventually, all of them make their way to the nursery, where the psychic said that Sally likes to hang out most of the time. As soon as the psychic entered the room, she again became short of breath and then pointed to a corner and said, that's where Sally lives. Now, during this entire time, Tony is taking all kinds of photos. And as the psychic continues to talk to Deborah, she is completely adamant that this entity was in fact a young girl and the family should treat her as such. And Deborah, upon hearing this, you know, this is the third or fourth time that she's heard from a psychic that this is a little girl. As a mom... She feels like she has to take care of Sally because according to the psychic, this little girl was alone. She was confused and she really just wanted attention. After the psychic had left, Deborah took the job of treating Sally as if she were just another child that was living in the home. She would talk with her. She would buy toys for her. She would even purchase clothing for the dolls that were in the nursery, thinking that Sally may want to dress up the dolls. Weeks go by until one day, Deborah found that she had a response to the question that she had left for Sally in the nursery. The one that was written in crayon asking how old Sally was. Now on this piece of paper, written in very childlike form, was seven-like. Deborah was so elated that she had found a way to communicate with Sally. So she continued to write her more notes to see if she could find out more information about her. Now, months would go by without Deborah receiving any kind of response to any of the questions that she posed to Sally. In the meantime, Deborah, who obviously is very intrigued about this presence in the house, continues to take photos of the nursery and all around the house, hoping to catch something. When she received one of the first photos back that she had taken inside the nursery, it showed a cloudy, shapeless mass with a clear opening in the center of it. Now, if you can imagine a donut made of haphazard clouds 
This is very close to what the mass looked like. Near the bottom of this mass, it's a dark, dark blue that morphs into almost a bright royal blue. But near the top of the mass, it turns black with a red-orange highlight around the top of it. Now, Deborah, she felt she wasn't freaked out by this at all. She felt that this was Sally's way of showing that she was upset or that she was hurt. Since the psychic had suggested that Sally have her own things, Deborah then bought her her own doll. She even gift-wrapped it for her and left it in the nursery. Deborah waited for days to see if Sally had opened her present. But every time she went by the nursery, it would still be laying in the same place that Deborah had put it. One day, as Deborah was walking by the nursery, she happened to notice that the doll that she had bought for Sally was in the baby's crib. She was ecstatic that Sally had accepted her gift. And when she went into the nursery, she found the package that the doll had come in. This package was still completely wrapped as if no one had ever touched it. When Deborah unwrapped it, the doll was not in the box, but everything else was completely intact. She couldn't wrap her head around how Sally could have gotten the doll out of the package without tearing the wrapping paper. Now, throughout their time there, it was common for Sally to move the pull switch, the wooden thing, uh, on the ceiling fan and move it around in a circle. And Deborah, as I mentioned, felt that this was how she let them know that she was there. But the thing is, Sally just didn't do harmless things. Eventually, multiple fires were started in the house without any known source. Of course, we have the candles. But on one occasion, the top of a teddy bear's head was on fire. But it was only concentrated in one specific location. It's like it it couldn't move or hadn't moved to any other part of the bear. For months, Deborah continued to talk to Sally as Sally did things throughout the house, like shutting off appliances or moving items around. Now, Tony, on the other hand, he did believe that there was something in the house, but he wasn't so sure that it was an innocent child. So he refused to interact with it, whatever it was. This began to cause a huge issue between Tony and Deborah, with Deborah believing it was all harmless. It was just this little girl who was lost and needed help and needed a mom. Now, Tony worked third shift. So after working third shift one night, he got home at around seven o'clock in the morning and went into the kitchen to grab himself something to drink. After he closed the refrigerator door, all of a sudden there was a ghost of a little girl. He was so shocked, he dropped his glass. And when he looked back up, she wasn't even there. She appeared so real that Tony actually believed a little girl was actually in the house. When he tells Deborah about this, Deborah admits she was really jealous. Why did Tony get to see her and not her? You know, after all, she's the one who had been putting in all of this hard work to make her feel welcome. Tony, uh, who had been drawing much of his life, sat down and he drew a picture of what Sally looked like for Deborah. 
Now, what Deborah didn't know was that Tony had been going through his own torment during this time. Now, Deborah, as you have probably guessed, you know, she had a very different perspective than her husband on what was happening in the house. She welcomed it. Um, and as a matter of fact, she'd always been fascinated by ghosts and she secretly wanted to see one. Now, Tony, on the other hand, he was deathly afraid. Tony didn't have the same experiences that Deborah did. He had been hearing whispering all throughout the house. And when he mentioned it to Deborah, she chalked it up to him just not getting enough sleep. She hadn't heard any of these voices. Tony would continue to tell her things that he heard and saw, which were completely different from what Deborah was seeing. But Deborah was so dismissive about it that eventually Tony just stopped telling her anything that happened. Now, in the meantime, Tony is not only hearing these voices, which seem to be getting louder and more frequent, but he also hears scratching behind the bedroom wall when he's trying to go to sleep. Now, Tony felt as if it was something evil in the house and would often suggest to Deborah, hey, let's just move. But Deborah had become so attached to Sally that she didn't want to leave. At one point, Tony had a dream that something was grabbing him by the wrists and dragging him out of bed. The next morning, there were red marks on his wrists and something that looked like blisters, but on closer inspection, they appeared to be tiny fingerprints. Tony also had another encounter, and this time he's just home from working on an overnight shift and he's climbed into bed. He's trying to go to sleep. He wakes up in terror because the waterbed he had been sleeping on was moving so violently, it felt as if someone were aggressively jumping up and down on it. He then starts to see some dark particles near the window. Now, he first thinks it's just dust, but then the particles begin to move on their own until they begin to make a shape of a woman. The woman is dressed in black lace, and she's got this evil scowl on her face and she begins to move closer to Tony. She's speaking to him, but he can't understand what she's saying. And this whole time, Tony is trying to scream, but no sound will come out. Now, during this time, the holidays have come and gone and Deborah's got this whole, these rolls of photos that she's taken throughout the house and sends them in and finally gets these photographs back. And while she's looking through them, she isn't sure what to think. The photographs are jarring, to say the very least. Uh, One photo shows a large blurry mass in a doorway. Now, the mass looks like clouds, but the clouds are the colors black, yellow, and orange, And it literally takes up the entire space of the doorway itself. Another photo shows the stairway where, again, another cloudy mass of black, gray, and orange appears to be coming around the corner from the upstairs. And the mass takes up at least the first five full steps from the top of the stairway. Another photograph is a picture of Sally and their son 
in front of their Christmas tree, which happens to be right next to the dining room table. Now, in this photo, a dark, cloudy mass appears just above one of the dining room chairs, and it seems to be in motion because there are streaks of like white and gold behind it. But there's another anomaly also showing up in the photo on the opposite side of Deborah as she holds her son. Now, Tony, and Deborah knows this, Tony has always felt like there was more than just Sally in the house. And now that Deborah had seen the Christmas photo that showed two of them, she agreed with Tony. So they contacted the same psychic that they had been working with. They wanted to know and wanted her advice um, to find out if it was a good idea or not to bring in some investigators to get to the bottom of what was happening in their home. And part of this was contacting the media or a television show. Tony had a really difficult time with this at first, uh, but eventually agreed to it. He really didn't want the media attention. Uh, But what they decided on is they decided to give the show sightings, which was one of the first paranormal shows on television at the time. And they invited them to come to their home. And after they gave them all of the evidence, they absolutely agreed. Now, if you remember, Tony and Deborah are leasing the property. So they asked the property owner, Les, to come over so that they could get his permission to have this crew come in and investigate. They told Les uh, some of what was happening in the house, especially about Sally. And the owner, Les, was actually a former police officer, and he didn't believe any of this. So when they asked him if it was okay for the sightings crew to come in and visit, he said it was fine. As he's walking through the house uh, before the visit, he says out loud, Sally, if you don't want these people here, you call me. Let the phone ring two times and then do it again so I know it's you. And then he wrote down his phone number and left it inside the house. On the day the sightings crew was set to arrive, Les began to leave his house uh, to go to the location when his phone rang and no one was on the other end. He then again went to leave and his phone rang again twice. Upon picking it up, he heard static. It was then he remembered what he had said when he was at the house about leaving his phone number and telling Sally to call twice and immediately Fear sets in. He was so scared, he even called his pastor to ask him if something like this was even possible. When his pastor said that, yes, it was, it scared him even more. The pastor told him, don't mess with it. Do what you have to do and then get out of there. The day the film crew arrived, Les and his former police partner, who came in still in full uniform, they stopped by. Now, upon entering the house and talking with the crew, the crew had asked Les if it was okay if they filmed him. And he said it was. And so he followed one of the crew members into the dining room area so that he could sign a contract. As he began to sign it, the papers on the clipboard began to flutter kind of unnaturally. His former partner couldn't believe what he was seeing. 
he saw that Les's hands were just simply holding the clipboard. They weren't even touching the paper. All the windows had been covered in plastic to keep the cold from getting inside, so they ruled out a draft. There weren't any fans going, and it was completely still. The show's researchers, they were just as curious as Deborah to find out who Sally actually was. Now, there was a record of Sally who had passed, but she was in her 30s. Uh, The show brought in another psychic named Peter James, and Peter was told nothing about what the family had been going through. It didn't take him long to figure out that there were multiple entities in the house and that at least three people had died there. Now, after they performed some research, it was determined that three people did in fact die within the house, and all of them were from the Finney family, who had owned not only the Sally House address, which is 508 North 2nd Street, but also the house next door at 510. And the Finneys had owned these for years. A uh, paranormal investigator that the show brought in next was Carrie Gaynor. Um, he, with him, he brought thousands of dollars worth of equipment to monitor all the rooms in the homes, in the home. He also brought a thermal camera that allowed him to see hot and cold spots throughout the house. Now the show's intent was to spend uh, 24 hours in the house Uh, monitoring the house and even staying within the house. And during this 24 hours, Tony was scratched on 11 different occasions, leaving multiple markings all over his back and front torso. The crew even filmed an entire unbroken nine minutes of scratches appearing on Tony as they filmed. When all of them walked upstairs and towards a room at the end of the hallway, Tony started feeling a burning sensation on his back that literally caused him to scream out. And upon lifting his shirt, you can see the letters M.C. appear scratched onto his lower back. While filming, things got so bad inside the house that one of the members of the sightings crew actually left the show right in the middle of filming. He had a hard time reconciling what he saw with what he believed, and he swore he would never go out into the field again. Now, After the initial filming, the sightings crew would actually return again and again to the home to film, and eventually they would put out multiple episodes on the Sally house. Now, after uh, the crew had come and gone, um, I don't know if this was after the first time or after the the completion of all of the visits, Tony's lack of sleep had gotten much, much worse. He couldn't eat. He displayed signs of fear and signs of anger. He often felt sick and had to be rushed to the hospital for inexplicable pains, only to find out that nothing was wrong with him. And eventually, Deborah even noticed that his personality didn't seem to be the same either. What Deborah didn't know 
until after they had already moved out of the house was that Tony was increasingly having thoughts of hurting and even killing Deborah. He would think of it constantly. Whenever he left the house, he would feel better and he'd chastise himself for having these thoughts only to have them return once back inside the house. According to an interview with the Pickmans in 2010, uh, in a documentary film, which I'll have a link for you um, at the end of the podcast, Tony said that one day he was watching Deborah get ready for work and just, quote, wanted to hurt her. He said he wanted to stab her. Now, as we know, Tony never really felt as if he could get through to Deborah. Um, all of these things that had been happening to him, he just felt dismissed all the time. And so what he decided to do is he began to have weekly visits to talk with the priest. Now, although he didn't disclose details, he always felt better after speaking with the priest. And as soon as he got home, ended up becoming more oppressed. Now, the priest, I don't know if this is the same one that Tony had been speaking with, but a priest, nonetheless, curious about what was occurring at the house, planned a trip to bless the home when he unexpectedly died. Now, this could have been coincidence. Uh, They don't know if the house had anything to do with it, but uh, nonetheless, it's, it's what happened. Tony finally began to open up to Deborah and it finally dawned on her that, you know, this haunting might not be as innocent as she first thought. Now, eventually they did finally decide to move out and they did so on October 31st of 1994. They only moved a couple of blocks away, but they still moved out of the house. Now, even though they still had questions about what was attacking Tony in the house and seemed to be so attached to Deborah, they really couldn't narrow it down. After they had moved out, the psychic that had appeared on the sightings show, Peter James, he came back to the house to see if the entities were in fact gone because uh, during the time that they were there, Tony and Deborah had attempted to have the house cleared with a shaman and, and other methods. Now, upon entering the home, he knew immediately that Sally was still there. Sally even ended up creating a burning sensation on the left side of his face. A previous resident of the home, after the sighting show aired, realized that, hey, this was the house that she grew up in as a little girl. And she remembered that her brother's room was where the nursery was located today. When she was young, she remembered that there was a fire that had started in their room. And of course, their mom thought it was them and blamed them for it. And they, of course, denied it. Now, after the television show aired and well after the Pickmans had already moved out of the house, Carrie Gaynor, the paranormal investigator that had come in initially with the sightings crew, uh, they came inside the house to do, along with the smaller crew to do a live Q&A via an online chat. Now, as they were doing this, Deborah, Tony, and the baby, they all stopped over unexpectedly. It wasn't long before Tony again was attacked, this time on his face. 
And ironically, it was also the left side of his face, as had happened with Peter James. Uh, The only difference was that Tony's face drew blood. And while they were there, Tony was scratched five times, with the last attack happening after the chat was over. These scratches were deeper than the rest and on the lower part of his back. When these scratches occurred, his knees buckled from the pain. Now, it should be noted here that all of this can be seen in the original sightings episode, which aired in 1998, and I'll provide a link for you on the website. Now, it wasn't until after this, the full investigation was all done, all of the episodes had been recorded, um, and Deborah finds out what Tony had been going through, that Deborah finally realized that Sally wasn't who she thought she was, that it was something else in disguise. They both fully believe it was a demonic spirit that could make itself appear as anything it wanted. It started appearing as a little girl so that they would invite it into their lives, which of course worked fabulously, right? Even after moving out of the house, Tony continues to fight his own battles based on what he experienced. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning, what you have heard is just a fraction, a fraction of what happened to Tony and Deborah. I highly suggest picking up Deborah's book, which was released in 2010, called The Sally House Haunting A True Story. And again, I'll have a link for you on the website. To this day, in 2022, you can still visit The Sally House. It's open for both tours and, if if you want to, overnight stays. Multiple paranormal groups have investigated this house and have televised it. Uh, one very well-known one is the Ghost Adventures episode. And there was one where they actually did a live stream of the full investigation. It's quite long. Um, but it was by Live Sci-Fi. And additionally, like I said, you can still view the original sightings episode along with the official Atchison's Towns documentary of the Sally House. And as a reminder, I'll have all of these. Um, All of the links for you on the website at beachhouse34.com and um, a way to get there from the Instagram page at beachhouse34podcast. So thank you again for listening. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Until next time.